Hello folks, welcome back to the second episode of Flying Sisters Solo. Uh, first episode went down a storm, it was half an hour that was neither very funny uh, or at all smart about sports, so exactly what we expected. So, moving on, this week we'll have more Friend of the Show topics, but the main focus of the show will not only be to recap where I went wrong this week, which will be quite a long recap because it was everywhere. But we are currently in the midst of transfer deadline day. And Jaden Sancho, not coming. Usman Dembele, not coming. But Edith and Cavani, we're in bus. Yeah, first episode of Flances is solo. I listened back to it and thought, wow, that guy can really talk for half an hour about absolutely nothing. He manages to not only not be funny, but also pretty much get every better on. So, you're obviously well used to this, but usually there's two of us. Uh, Dave McCann can't be with us again this week because he tested positive uh, for thinking Anthony Davis was finals MVP. Obviously very dangerous disease, you'd have to be a lunatic to do that. Uh, so he's probably going to be in a mental institution for the next four to six weeks. Which leads to more half hours on Spotify with no copyrighted music, to be fair. A lot of technical difficulties though. Spotify, uploading a podcast to you, not fucking easy. Uh, yeah, back to Flying Solo. Today we have seen Thomas Party sign for the Arsenal. Uh, however, at what cost? Gunnar Soros, treasured mascot and was due to fight Fred the Red in a no-holds-barred cage match at the end of the season. Has been whacked by the Arsenal. So after getting rid of all their backroom staff, all their scouts, they've now got rid of a green dinosaur, and for some reason there's more outrage about that, which shows what a fucking nonce club they are. Manchester United, on the other hand. Oh. What a weekend, folks. What a weekend. Uh, I did say on the Friday night show that it wasn't a game I was looking forward to watch because we are Manchester United. Never in my wildest dreams did I think we would lose the game 6-1 and it could have been more to a team managed by Jose Mourinho. Would you like to know how many times we scored 6 under Mourinho? It's zero. What? Managing against us? Oh, he, he, it's almost as if he had some sort of vendetta against a club that didn't allow him to sign a centre half, then forced him out, only to then let a caretaker manager from Cardiff sign a centre half for £80 million. It's almost as if he had that sort of vendetta. Pretty understandable to have that sort of vendetta, given he was a two-times Champions League winner, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer once won Championship Manager of the Month. I don't even know if that's fact. I don't know if he if he's flown to that higher level. Uh, he was once again tactically outclassed, bailed out by a penalty for a minute. Then, well, my favorite Manchester United player of all time, Harry Maguire. What a barnstormer game he had. 
He managed to show no pace, no ambition, no tactical ability, no brain cells, no motor, no sense, no haircut. Just your standard Harry Maguire week, except this time we were playing an actual decent forward line that cut us to living shit. Let's not act as if this 6-1 is an outlier. We could have lost 6-1 the week before to Brighton. Leandro Trossard could have had about four goals the week before. But we were bailed out. And then this week we were brutally exposed by a much more clinical side. Which we will continue to be the whole season if things don't change. Currently, on transfer day, line day, our main fix for being the worst defensive team in the history of football is to sign 33-year-old Uruguayan hitman Edison Cavani, who at his peak wouldn't have been the solution because he's always been a player that has only been good with exceptional facilitators around him in Levetsi and Hamshik when he broke through at Napoli and then the millionaires row at PSG. Both of our wingers are literal just cut-in-and-shoot merchants, so who is going to set up Cavani? Because Paul Pug was going to be busy giving the ball away on the edge of our box. And not tracking the runner after he loses the ball. So, you've got a striker that relies on service and a team with no service. So what else would we do? Well, the whole the whole transfer window. It was, it was written in the stars that we were signing. Probably my favourite prospect in world football in the last five years. Uh, Jadon Sancho. He was going to reinvigorate my club. Uh, I was going to be milly rocking halfway around the world just to follow him. But didn't quite happen. Didn't quite materialise. Am I upset about it? Uh, well, you could be you could be right in saying that because it's it's ruined my whole life. And honestly, I'm not sure if I can watch football this year because of how upset I am. But the good news is. We have, of course, made our revolutionary summer signing of Armad Traore. Because as a team that is in desperate need of personnel help now, and players that could jail into a starting lineup now for immediate impact, what better way to do that than with an 18-year-old who we will loan out for the first six months? We need someone to come in tomorrow and fill the void currently in this team. Instead, we have signed a prospect, albeit I think a good prospect, because he's from the same academy as Kulisevsky or Kulisevsky or whatever the fuck you call him, the Swedish guy that signed for Juventus. Fantastic player. Similar sort of player, that's what we're hearing from the scouts. That's a great thing. However, we don't have him for six months. By then we could legitimately be in 14th. And he's an 18 year old. So although we do love in the last few years. Forcing undue responsibility on the 18 year olds. And giving them a ridiculous amount of pressure early on. It's not the most great impact to be made in January. We can't force an 18 year old to come in in January. And take the brunt of the offence. We will see what happens in the next few games. Uh, very soft fixtures coming up. But no Martial. Because 
terrible refereeing decision, but at the same time, why give him the decision to make? Just drop to the ground. Like, any other time, you drop to the ground there, Lamella gets sent off, but instead you have to retaliate and let him do the diving. Just, I know it's it's a more manly approach, but men aren't rewarded in modern football. Just fucking dive and get on with it. Then, uh, our other signings are Alex Tellez. Alex Tellez is a great signing. Uh, I'm very, very happy about it. Uh, if he does agree. Because we are seeing signs in the last hour. Uh, apparently he is confirmed. Great news. I'm currently reading an article. It has just come out from BBC. Tellez is confirmed and announced. That's great shit. That I know, I'm, I'm quite happy about that. That has been a moderately good thing to end a historically bad window. Obviously, Van de Beek's a great signing, but we're not going to play him for some reason because we don't concede with Nemanja Matic in the side. Hmm. The last two weeks would beg to fucking differ. We just conceded six with Nemanja Matic in the side, and he was legitimately worse than a passenger. He was hanging out of the car. Uh, we've also signed a Uruguayan right winger from Penarol called... Oh, it's a, it's a tough name to pronounce. It is a tough name to pronounce. Now, we're going to go for it. Facundo Pelistri. Facundo Pelistri. Uh, if any if any United fan claims they've heard of him before today, they're, they're fucking lying. Uh... However, Europe, Uruguayan football expert Sebastian Giovanelli uh, said that Pellistri has been a major target for us all summer. Why hasn't he been talked about until then? If he's been a major target all summer and if Armand Traore has supposedly been a major target all summer, how come it seems very much like we're sprinting to the finish line on deadline day? So much so that, that Atlanta have been able to shoehorn 30 million euros out of us. Given their other suitor was Parma. There is not a fucking chance in the world Parma were ever going to spend 30 million euros on a football player. So they clearly saw Manchester United interest and went, oh, let's bump up the asking price by 50 billion. I don't mind. Obviously it's not my money. Uh, and any money we spend on signings doesn't go into the Glazers' pockets. But at the same time, when you are in negotiations with a club like Atalanta, whose only other option is Parma, whose record signing happened in 2001, and even then, the most they've spent in the last like 10, 15 seasons was for the Napoli centre forward earlier on the transfer window. I can't remember what his name is. Uh, but they bought him for something like 17 million euros. So how were they ever in negotiations to sign a player who was going to cost 30? So how have we been charged 30? It doesn't make a great deal of sense. However, if he works out, by all means, that's a great thing. I would have preferred someone who could make an impact rather than who will be, at best, a squad player come January when he signs. It's not... It's not been good. 
It's been an absolute disaster. Uh, Solskjaer is so far out of his depth that he looks like Frank Lampard. The board has once again failed to act on a season where it looked like we were going to have some semblance of momentum, given we had a great end of last season. However, that great end of last season was a double-edged sword because it meant that A, you're getting another guaranteed six months of Solskjaer and also ending on such a strong run of form meant that they could justify not spending money. But I suppose we'll continue to get the penalties. Uh, Bruno Fernandes will be made to believe he's a good player. However, he has moved up in my estimations because he was substituted at half-time this week for apparently just laying in the Harry Maguire. If only it wasn't just with a fucking knife instead of verbally. And he'd fucking... I don't want to say murder him. Because that would be very harsh. To murder a bloke over central half deficiencies. But at the same time... Something that would leave him out for the rest of his contract. So we don't have to pay him. I wouldn't be averse to. I, I wouldn't be against that sort of thing. From a personal standpoint. Uh, other signings? Few and far between. Felipe Anderson is supposedly going. Uh, I, I'm i not surprised given he's been used like 8 minutes this year. Guendouzi has left Arsenal uh, to make room for Thomas Partey f- to fulfil the role of the fourth centre-back. I can't lie, Partey's an excellent signing. I just don't know if it gets them out of the, the seven-back system. If it, if it works out, Aubameyang ends up through the middle and he plays Saka, then it's a good, good move. I can't see it happening, though. He, lo- he loves the seven back too much. West Ham are apparently going to sign Tamori on loan. That would be a very good signing for them. He's young, very quick, and obviously hit probably the goal of the season last year. So he'd be amazing for them. Especially when they've had such a good start. Also, David Moyes getting COVID has probably been the best thing to ever happen to that football club. So fair play to him for taking the hit. Uh, And fair play to his daughter for taking the hit from Wilfred Zaha to allow him to become the superstar he was never going to become at United. Ah. Let's finally get into a recap of last week. Something I've been trying to avoid. Well, as I said, I said the Everton game could have been a draw. Everton won 4-2. Hmm. That wasn't a great prediction, though. But uh, it's alright, though. Because although I can't remember my bet, and I haven't written my bet down, because it was probably that bad, I know... For a fact, I said Sheffield United wouldn't score until March. For them to promptly score the next day. And McGoldrick to flash a late shot wide. So, Sheffield United fans, you're very fucking welcome. I don't know any of I'm hoping a few of have accidentally stumbled onto this Spotify podcast. You're so welcome. Because before I said it, you weren't going to score till fucking late June. Thankfully, every prediction I've made in the last two weeks has gone the exact opposite. So that's why uh, I'm calling Manchester United to lose 17-4 this week. I don't know where we're getting the four goals from, but I do know where we're conceding the 17. Also, something I haven't touched on yet. 
even though I am supposed to be recapping last week's show. The ideal centre-back partnership for Harry Maguire. Why is this a narrative? The ideal centre-half partnership for Harry Maguire would be a straitjacket. It's not as if you compare him with pace, because he's not particularly great in the air. He just manhandles his marker. You could potentially pair him with a cultured ball-playing centre-half, but then again, who's going to be able to defend? You could look at getting a very, very quick, talented centre-half, but then again, we don't scout that position very well, given we signed Harry Maguire in the first place. So, the ideal partnership for Harry Maguire would be the bench, but since that's not likely happening... I, do, I honestly don't know. I'm. Abba Meccano would have been fantastic. But it would have been him doing all the work with Harry Maguire as a passenger. But because he's English, he's Irish, he'd end up probably in the PFA team of the year. Uh, trust me, I've watched it with Rio Ferdinand for long enough. The foreigner will not get the credit. Recap of the week. What else did I say? I was quite right about the Lakers in the second game. Uh, however, last night Jimmy Butler had the game that everyone says Jimmy Butler has every night. People are genuinely convinced that that is just regular Jimmy Butler. And he didn't make like seven or eight contested floaters over a taller defender. Which is not a sustainable shot to hit regularly. He's not going to do that every game. Also, AD shitting the bed really fulfills my narrative quite well. I still th I don't think it's an issue. Uh, the Lakers will bounce back. LeBron James will have a significantly better run. And hopefully the spread moves nicely. Uh, and the market settles. God, I want the market to settle. Uh, what else did I call? Oh, the Liverpool game. It's almost as if a man on a sports podcast had been calling that Liverpool defence fraudulent for a very long time. And it was kind of shown in the Leeds game. Albeit the expected goal stats didn't really look like it. They didn't. They looked sloppy in every possession against Leeds. And Leeds looked dangerous every time they moved towards Liverpool. This game, I'm legitimately not sure if Liverpool played more than eight players. Because for some reason, Aston Villa were constantly able to just play the one ball in behind and Ollie Watkins would just be standing in 15 yards of space. Mo Salah is legitimately taking that team on his back and he can't do anything. And to be fair, his strike partner for the day, in my famous inverted commas, was world-famous defensive striker Roberto Firmino who Klopp took off late in the game for James Milner to improve his goal threat. Why would he not just have the balls to play Salah, Jada and Mane when it comes back? When Mane manages to successfully escape the Rona? Like, why could it not just be a Giotto, Manasali front three? Because Roberto Firmino is the worst player on planet Earth. 
And Liverpool fans will still go to bat for him. Every single time. He's our Bobby. He's fucking useless. You've had a historically good season last year. He had about six goals. And never mind all he does for the team. He just runs round aimlessly. And he doesn't draw any defenders. Because they know he's not a threat. And it's not a particularly good argument to say. Oh but Klopp's the best manager in the world. And he plays him. So could Klopp be wrong? Klopp would have had him out of that team for Timo Werner in fucking 14 milliseconds this summer if the board had backed that much money in a move. Let's not beat around that particular bush. He would have been on Timo Werner faster than Roberto Firmino can back a ball into a centre half. He would not be your starting striker had Klopp had his way this summer. For good fucking reason, because he's dreadful. What else did I say in my magisterial wisdom? I presume I said something about Leicester winning. I'm nearly certain I did say I'd have Leicester in that wee bet I said at the end. That bet would, that bet would not have done you as a good service, folks. I'm not going to lie to you. If you, did, if you did bet on that, uh, you can claim it back at slightlystirtlesports.com uh, in the findest section. So if you just send me an invoice for that... Uh, Probably not going to do much with it. I'm going to laugh because you listen to me. Despite the fact of me explicitly telling you multiple times, do not listen to the bets I put forth. Except this week. This week I'm feeling hot. We also had a COVID outbreak in the NFL. The amount of DFS lineups I was robbed of having Cam Newton in this weekend. I'm heartbroken. I was going to win racks like major racks. Thankfully, it seems to have been cooled down. Uh, Titans are still in big diffs, but by next week, it'll all be it'll all be under the carpet. We'll be ready to let the boys play. I'm trying to think of everything else I said. Nothing sensible. It's pretty much assured that nothing sensible was said. I don't think I predicted one fixture right. Uh, all of the other favourites... Across the European leagues, one I believe, because I know Bayern won. Bayern beat Hertha Berlin four three, and Lewandowski scored four goals. Uh, that bloke will do that six times a season, and will get talked about very little, because when it comes to an actual big game, he'll score zero. But he will be he'll be more than content to score. Four goals against weak opposition every week of the season, given he is the Polish Romelu Lukaku. Let's get into the topics from friends of the show. This was a, a segment that was a great success last week. I managed to get through the topics in absolutely rapid pace. So I'll start it this week with friend of the show, Liam O'Connor, uh, a lifelong pal of mine, one of, one of my very best friends, who... At the peak of our powers together as a as a comedic duo, we're going to start a podcast, and then he got a girlfriend and abandoned me for eighteen months. Issues I have still yet to get over, by the way. And he said, "Are you looking forward to United bringing in Potch, only for the board to not back him again and sign Dembele on loan in January?" And that's where you're wrong, my friend. 
because Barcelona are only going to take a permanent, so we're going to spend 140 million on that. But he will, he will probably get the number seven, so that'll sell a lot of shirts. So Ed Woodward will be double thumbs up to that. Uh, I'd be happy. Look, I'll take a dead season. I'll take a season where we do nothing, but a better result than Potch. If it's not Potts, then what was it all for? If we don't eventually get the man and get revenge in a Mauricio Pochettino revenge game, double revenge narrative, given he'd be managing against Jose Mourinho, then what was it all for? What was it all for if not that double revenge game narrative? Because if we have two revenge games against each other, what happens? We've never seen it. There's never been such a big revenge game versus revenge game narrative. It would break the internet. But yeah, that's the only that's the only thing that can rectify a dead season for United is to get Poch. Uh, and if someone says, oh, if we win the Carlin Cup, I'll fucking shoot you. I will shoot you with a gun. Because winning domestic cup competitions for 50 grand prize money does not warrant a completely dead season in the Premier League, the only competition that actually matters. Given we're out of Europe. You might think, oh no, we're still in Europe. We're out of Europe. We're somehow going to finish fourth in that group. Because Istanbul, Basha Kashkashir are going to let like 15,000 fans in. And the trip to Turkey is going to once again be a tough trip to Turkey. I think I'm going to manage to fit that narrative into every Flying Sisters and Solo episode. Uh, And then he said... As a composite point, or are you looking forward to Cavani scoring once in six months before being loaned back to South America or Hackney, where he can resume his career talking about fingering women in fish markets as a popular Cockney comedian? And I think the latter is probably the better option for him. He does, he has a bit of a geezer look to him, does Earl Edison. He's got the, the long flowing locks, he looks like the sort of bloke that would wear like a white t shirt and a leather jacket, almost like me on a first date. Uh, but significantly more handsome. I think that once in six months, bit harsh. Uh, I think it's two goals. I think it's in the FA Cup third round against like Burton, or maybe hashtag United. Uh, as for his career as a Cockney comedian, if he managed to get on stage in Hackney, he'd probably be doing a better job than I have with my comedy career. So fair play to him. That's something that. You've got to give credit to. He's a great lad, as old Edison. Uh, so thank you very much. Liam O'Connor, friend of the show. Uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Or look forward to making plans to see you soon and then you flaking. Sorry, that's a bit harsh. I love you, really. Uh, then, the second topic comes in from friend of the show, Le Horn Job. Uh, and it's a reference, once again, to Manchester United Football Club. And he said, what would Manchester United have to do this evening for you to end your SSS contract on air? And if the news came through that Manchester United, in a shock move, re-signs Latan Ibrahimovic. Because that's probably the only thing that could really irk me, is if we signed an old player who looked a shell of their former selves and we'd last seen playing for PSG. That would really upset me. Especially if he had like long hair. Had a successful spell in Italy. 
and was very good in the air. That seems like the sort of thing that would really, really upset me to the point where I was borderline catatonic, especially if we paid him a lot of money for a short spell on a free transfer. Because that's the sort of thing that would really grind my gears. If we were to sign an old, good-in-the-air, long-haired, former PSG, but also former Serie A striker, who wasn't very good the last time we'd seen him. Yeah, if we did that, I'd be forced to rip up my contract. To myself, obviously, because I also am the CEO of Slightly Satirical Sports. So, I think I would have to rip up my contract to myself, which just says, try hard, be funny, if we were to do something like that. So, here, live on air, written on a blank piece of paper with lines on it. There you go. Contract's ripped. I no longer have to try hard or be funny. It's probably why I now do a solo show. Edison Cavani is Ebra point two. Not two point oh, point two. Cause Ebra at his peak was actually good at football. I am so angry. So very angry that we've somehow been fleeced into spending money on Bastian Schweinsteiger, on Radamel Falcao, on Zlatan Ibrahimovic again. None of them have worked. None of them have worked. Stop making big signings for commercial success that aren't going to play well. Why couldn't it have been Luis Suarez? Luis Suarez went earlier on the summer, an actual good Uruguayan striker, by the way. Why did we have to wait until transfer deadline day to chuck more money at Edison Cavani? Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Makes me very angry. And the final topic, on a much lighter note, comes from OG listener, friend of the show, Connor McAllister. And it's, it's a transfer rumour that's been around all summer. And I think it's one that, on today of all days, could come true. And that's just messy to Celtic. Listen, the Pope's Argentinian. There's a lot of good affinity between the Argentines and the Celts at the minute. No Pope, no hope and all that. We have the Pope, we have hope. So, it makes a lot of sense for Messi to go, tell you what, Papa Francesco LA, I'm going to Parkhead. And come December, when the B-Hoys are all in Milan, Bergamo Airport for the Europa League away fixture, I'd be there. Me, Franchetti, CSC up front. I can only see good things from that partnership. Where we finally see how much better than everyone in the Scottish League Odson Edward truly is. I'm not sure Messi would be used to playing at such a high level as to play against Kilmarnock. Or potentially even get a run out at the Tony Macaroni Arena. Those are the sort of venues that he has never reached the dizzying heights of. So the only way for him to truly prove himself at this stage of his career is to join the Celts. Plus, a player that played for Newell's old boys 
would really help combat a lot of the announcing rumors. Be a good be a good PR move for the Celts. But thank you for all the friends of the show for their topics. Uh, I think I took slightly more than eight minutes to get through them this week. Might have been nine minutes. Uh, I have once again had a fantastic time hosting Flying Sisters Solo. I will be back for the part of the, the show where I can be ridiculed for on Friday where I make my predictions for the weekend that will obviously I think I'm going to make 8 predictions every weekend and if I get above 4 we're calling it even we're calling it an even week I'm not sure I will get above 4 I'll actually have looked at the odds this week which means the book boogies you're in trouble because I won't be waking up at like 12 on the Saturday to do my accumulator Obviously not putting in the early kickoff, so there's no real need for me to get up at that that juncture and put the accumulator in that fast. But you want to have you want to have all your fixtures and all your accumulators in before the first fixture kicks off. It just it's how it should be done. So I'll be back on Friday. Uh, potential, you see uh, local vagrant David McCann back in the SSS studio at some stage. Hopefully for next week's recap, so we can have two people. Shredding the fuck little predictions I make earlier in the week. So, that's pretty much it from me. I've been your host, Niall John Murphy. Once again, this has been Flying Sissa Solo. And if I look at the Spotify charts at the end of this week, and I see Andrew Tremble above us, I will be furious. We all know we have one ambition. I'm going to say it every episode, so it's drilled into your dome pieces. It doesn't matter who beats us. It doesn't matter if we are the second least listened to podcast on the planet. So long as the least listened to is Andrew Trembles. Good night. Safe home. I've been Niall Murray. Your captain speaking. You've been flying. This is a solo. <laughs>